thank you, thank you. To the team, anyone who has ever done a conference knows this doesn't just happen. You all didn't just show up and everything was here for you. Lots and lots of work, many, many hours went into this. And the reason why is to provide a space for you to come and receive from the Lord. There was an old preacher a long time ago that I loved. I heard her say, I just want to be the platter from which the good food of God is served. There's a lot of people who went into creating a platter for you to come and receive from the Lord. So I want to say thank you to all of them. And part of this, so you all won't even know this, but Marty and Gary and I did not coordinate our messages. But you will find out that God did. And this morning, uh, as I woke up, just so confirmed about a direction that actually just wraps this all up. And then the group following me are going to practice some of the things that I want to talk about. So this is how good God is. And I want to say how fun it is to see Pastor Mandy and the women from Botkinburg who drove all the way, our Foursquare friends from Botkinburg, Arkansas. I had a, a flash down memory lane when I was the district supervisor here eons ago, and it was so good to see them. I um, don't even remember when this started in me. But when I was in the eighth grade and I was graduating from Richmond Junior High School in Shafter, California, nobody knows where that is, uh, town of, you do, 6,000 people in the middle of nowhere. My dad was a farmer in the Central Valley. I had always had this innate thing in me that got mixed up with the performance that Marty and I have both talked about. And a lot of the motive behind the performance was not good. But yet, this is what I want you to hear. Even the things that you create that you think aren't good when you discover this about God, God takes those things and turns what may have been a weakness into some of your best strengths. And I look back, and Gary and I were laughing because when we moved several years ago back to Arkansas again, we went through and cleared out a lot of clutter, which is one of the reasons I love to move, is because I declutter everything every time. And in that process, I discovered some cards. They were about six by eight, handwritten with a pencil. You would have been proud. Handwritten with a, principle, with a pencil, and it was the message I gave, or the speech I gave at my eighth grade graduation. I'm 62. Do you know how old those cards are? <laughs> and guess what the title was? And we cracked up. God expects improvement. <laughs> yes, we could still talk like that in school when I was in the eighth grade. And the whole thing was about how we grow and how we'd grown from kindergarten to eighth grade. And as I read that message, I went, oh God, you put this message in me from the beginning of my life. Because here's the core of everything that I ever want to share. 
is that God intends you to grow. And I want to just clarify even more what I mean by this through this message this afternoon. And we're coming to an end, and your stomachs are full, and it's really comfortable in here. So I'm going to ask you to perk up and really hear what God would say to you. Because here's what I know. Those of us who have grown up in this kind of church, if we're not careful, conferences become adult camps. You know what I'm talking about? When I was a kid, we'd go to camp every summer, and I'd get saved every summer. And we'd hear the same messages about who we are every summer, and I'd hear them as if they were the first time every summer. And it was through this process that God began to deal with me that says, no, because here's the thing. I know people who would say, I've been in church for 20 years. I've been following Jesus for 20 years. And here's the question is have you been following Jesus for 20 years and growing in that process, or have you followed him for one year 20 times? Because there's a big difference, and it shows up in our lives. And so I want to wrap this up today with a really important message for us, and and I want to express the why and the how in this Today And let me give you a little bit of history. When God created the heavens and the earth and he created his children in his image, he created the world the way he intended, including the human beings he'd created in perfection. But we all know that Adam and Eve's failed decision, which for them was their failed identity test, caused disordered loves, sin and brokenness, and misaligned purposes in humans and creation. Then Jesus, the second Adam, came to set things right, to restore God's original design, his children, and the world he created. Friends, the world is not going to hell in a handbasket. And neither are you. Because God set from the time Jesus said it is finished and was resurrected to make all things new. The world and you. Have you read? The end of the book says that God created a new heaven and a new earth. And sometimes we behave as if we think he's just going to obliterate all this. And create something fresh. And I don't find that in scripture. I find a restorative, regenerative nature of God that takes what's broken and destroyed and rebuilds it to make it new. You see, it would not be a story that we want to live out if we watch God just obliterate stuff that doesn't work. But when we watch God take the broken and the bad... And the things that have been destructive. And he miraculously remakes them. It gives us hope for our lives. It gives us hope for hopeless situations. It gives us hope for the world. 
I want to address this because you see the reason the church was born, you, me, the reason we were birthed at Pentecost was to be the people born of the Spirit, as we talked about last night, born again, don't miss that, born of God, filled with the Spirit who doesn't jump in and out of us according to our behavior, but who dwells in you 24-7 for us to be the living, faithful presence of Christ in the world. That's the reason we exist. Living our lives on purpose, doing the mission of God as the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. Jesus is the only leader in the Lord of the church. All the rest of us are members in particular in this body, fulfilling his mission and purpose just as he did when he was here physically. And this is why this growth process is so incredibly important. So let's think about this. When a new baby is born, when that sweet little precious grandbaby was in her arms a while ago, when he was born, what is the normal expectation when you have a child? That it's going to grow. Now, some of us moms don't want that to happen, and we want to pretend it never does. But the reality is, if this child is healthy and normal, it is normal for it to grow and what? Mature. To grow up. Friends, this is true of us as followers of Jesus. And oh, by the way, here's some good news maybe. It doesn't happen in 18 years. You've heard it from Marty. You've heard it from me. This is a lifelong endeavor. But the truth is, God does expect improvement. Why? Because he's given you everything you need for life and godliness. She read it this morning. So you add to your faith virtue. So the biggest problem I hear sometimes in church is we hear that we should do something, but we don't know what that is or what it looks like or how to do it, right? I used to write in every message I heard, YBH, yes, but how, right? How many things are we told? We have no clue what that looks like or how to do it. So I want to start with, what does it look like to be a mature follower of Jesus? Well, we see it in Ephesians 4. So if you're new to the faith, I thought about this this morning. I, I want you to do three things. You got a big book with 66 different sections or what we call books within that Bible. And some of you may have a version of it that is like reading Greek to you. Well, pretty much is. And here's the thing. You're going to take a lifetime to learn that book and become like what it says. So let me give you a little tip here. If you've not been a person who really dove into the scripture, first of all, after last night, I hope you'll spend some time in Luke 
and see the identity of Jesus over and over and over again and let it be forged in you. But here's the other two things I'd love for you to do. Live in the book of John and let the love of God and the personality of Jesus wash over your soul. You'll see so much in that book. And then here's the last one. Go from there to Ephesians. I kind of have this bias that if all we had was Ephesians, we'd have all we need. Because when you read the book of Ephesians, you see everything from the beginning of what God established for us, who we are in him, and what we're supposed to do with it. It's beautiful. So we're only going to go to Ephesians 4 today. How do we grow into what I've called our prototype? We as human beings are created to mimic things. Did you know that? We mimic things. Children start this very, very young. They mimic adults. They mimic one another. It's because God created us that way. He was doing something to make it easier for us. That when we mimic Christ, we become like him. You're going to hear that over and over again. So our prototype is Jesus. So when we look at the model, it's really important to think about this. Every artist, whether a painter, a sculptor, a metal worker, most often uses a prototype, a model. And if it's not a physical one, it's one they see in their head. Every artist sees a final product before they ever begin. Most of them will have a model. You'll see it with a painter. They have a model that they're going to follow. A prototype is a first. It's the typical or preliminary model of something from which all the other forms are developed or copied. The archetypal example for followers of Christ is Jesus himself. And I want you to catch this because I kept singing it and thinking about it over and over and over again this morning. We become what we focus on. Now, friends, I, you'll find with me, and my, my children will be the first to tell you this, I love through challenging people. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm not trying to be mean to people. But I know God wants us to grow up for two things. It makes life really good for us and for the world around us. There's a line that I use all the time. I'm being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of the world. And I will explain that in a few minutes. I'm being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of the world. If you focus on your problems, on what the news tells you, on what your friends are saying, on everything around you, you will be transformed into that image. Think about that. We become like what we look at. What we focus on, listen, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full 
in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Well, I don't know about you, but when I was a little kid, and I love telling this in churches like this because these lights really resemble that sun. When I was a little girl, my mother said, do not look at the sun, do not look at the sun, do not look at the sun. Why? Because it will literally burn the image into your retina. Well, that's kind of what these lights do for us. We stand and look at them. (laughs) Now listen, when I look down at you after looking up here, guess what I see? I don't see you. I see the image of that light everywhere I look for quite a while. Did you know that if you will keep your eyes focused on Jesus, no matter what's happening around you, when you lower your eyes to the earth, it changes your perspective. The ugliest things don't look so ugly anymore. The most difficult things suddenly have a whole different view of them because you've been looking at the sun. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That is your part. It doesn't say he's going to take your head and lift it up. Now, there is a prayer of David that says, you're the glory and lifter of my head. There are times when I didn't have strength and I felt like the Holy Spirit was the lifter of my head, but it was my choice whether to open my eyes and look or not. What we look at, we will become. Ephesians says this, chapter 4, the very beginning. I'm not going to read all 13 verses, though I am very tempted. Because you're going to do that in a little while. As a prisoner of the Lord. That's a really good line right there. It means I am not my own. I don't go where I want. I don't do what I want. I don't do my own thing. I am a prisoner of the Lord. And he said, therefore, I urge you. Can you hear me urging by the Spirit this afternoon? I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. We talked about this last night. Your calling is to be a child of God. Your calling is to be a servant of God. And your calling is to sometimes suffer like Christ. And he's saying, walk worthy of that calling. Now, when I was growing up and I heard a sermon about walking worthy, they told me where I could go and couldn't go and what I could wear and couldn't wear and how I could to look and how I couldn't look. And I discovered that none of those things made me holy, though they were called that. Because what I discovered is I could look this holy part on the outside and behave in incredibly holy ways and where I went and didn't went, go. And yet all the time, <laughs> all the time, my heart could be as dark as can be absolutely corrupt. And over time, the heart begins to be revealed. 
It is not the external behavior. And often that is what Christianity has taught us. Act right, do right, go right, right? And yet on the inside, we don't grow. So how do we do this different? Well, look at what he goes on to say in verse 13. We're to grow and walk worthy of the calling so that the body of Christ, the church, may be built up. Friends, you're responsible to one another. As part of the body of Christ, I'm responsible to you. You're responsible to me. Did you know that every time, we've so individualized salvation, especially in the Western world, but did you know that most every time in the New Testament, when we read you, it's talking plural, we would say y'all, right? And we so individualize, no, we are responsible to one another so that the body of Christ may be built up until... It's a really important word. It means it's not going to stop until. Now listen, the qualifier until. We all reach unity in the faith. We have a ways to go. And in the knowledge of the Son of God, knowing everything there is to know about Jesus, and become mature. There it is. Well, yeah, well, I'm mature. Well, what are you measuring your maturity by? If you compare, like Marty talked about so beautifully, if you compare with one another, then you can begin to feel like, well, I'm mature. Look at her. And in his wisdom, God said, no, I, I am going to set for you what the pattern of maturity is. It's this, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Well, now that's a whole other measuring rod, right? When I reach the full capacity of who Jesus is, then I'm mature. Now you see why I say it's a lifelong endeavor? And I have a sense it'll probably never be fully attained until that last breath happens. The measuring rod for our maturity is Jesus himself. So there's some really important words here. I call these words of intention. First of all, I want you to know that in, until matters. Because it gives you hope. It's not ending today. Your process is not done today. As long as God says time goes on for us all and time goes on for you, it's until you got time. The second thing he says is reach. You don't have the ability to use your mind and make something move off a table and come to you. You have to reach for it. There is some effort on our part, not performance. Effort on our part 
to grow up. Here's the third word that I love, and it's one of my favorite, and it's out on your sign. Become. Become. This is a process of becoming. The butterfly is not the caterpillar. It became something. That's a process. And then this last one is much like reach, attaining to. There is a goal. There's something I'm looking at to become. There is a model that I am painting my life like, and it's Jesus. So here, how's this process? How do people grow? Well, Marty has demonstrated for you And I want to now give it to you in real three simple ways. I studied this and I found this in the science of human development. And then I went to the Gospels and said, oh, that's how Jesus did it. This is how Jesus made disciples. If you are missing one of these three things, you will not grow the same. First of all, New knowledge. There is so much scripture about knowledge. Thank you, Marty, for putting that in your sheet about your education. Whether it's formal or informal, growing in your knowledge of something is critically important. And it says grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Now, why does that matter? Why do I need to keep growing in my knowledge? Because whether we like it or not, we can get a fixed mindset. Which means I know what I need to know and it'll get me through. And what happens when we fix our mindset, it shrinks and we become smaller all the time. A growth mindset says I have so much to learn. And the beauty of this is this is the childlikeness that Jesus taught. That when I gain new knowledge, it challenges my current mindset. And we need our current mindsets challenged. What I think I know may not be right. And it's not that the truth is wrong, it's that my perspective, my understanding of it to date needs adjustment. I need to feel challenged. If we don't feel challenged and stretched, we do not grow. If we stay comfortable all the time, we do not grow. And friends, this is why you've heard it over and over again since you've been here. Part of the reason for suffering, I have become convinced, is because it challenges us like nothing else. And in that challenge, we have a choice to make, whether we will let it challenge our current mindset about the situation and grow, or whether we will just get entrenched, dig our heels in, and hold the fort. And when we do that, our world shrinks. And we turn in on ourselves instead of outward to God. We must grow. And there's so many resources to help us today. I always say to people, because I've always said leaders are readers, 
And people say, well, I hate to read, I don't like to read. That's not even an excuse anymore because there's a little triangle and when you push that button, it reads to you. It's amazing. So there's no excuse anymore that we can take in the knowledge of the Lord and learn and grow. Hear how he talks. Hear how he responds to things. Hear what he thinks about things. Grow in our knowledge. Then here's the second thing, and this is why Marty had you turn, and she actually said it finishes the process. I love brain science because it has taught us so much about how God made us. If you think, well, I'm just going to do it myself, no, you won't because you weren't made that way. You can't grow in isolation. Can't grow alone. God will not allow it. You know why? Because God in God's self is Father, Son, and Spirit. And together in community, God is love. And they're inviting us. God is inviting us into this loving relationship. And you cannot do that alone. You need a friend. You know why? You need to hear yourself say out loud what you're thinking, what you've written. And oh, by the way, you need to hear somebody disagree with you. You do. You need to hear somebody challenge you. I tell people, if only friends you've got are telling you how wonderful you are, you need some new friends. Because I know I'm not that wonderful. And it's why part of this verse is so important in Ephesians 4 when it says, and speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him who's the head of all things. You need some friends who love you enough to lovingly challenge you. That's true love. It really is. That's what Jesus does all the time. The second thing that we see after intentional relationships, and I put this word intentional relationships. It's not that you just hang out together and have coffee all the time. It's that the new knowledge that's been going in, you process with one another. You talk about what you've been reading. You talk about what you've been hearing God say. I want to tell you something that so deeply in my soul, I've seen this 40 years of pastoring friends. I've seen a few things so has Marty, and here's what I know she would say the same thing to you. Everything you hear is not God. And it's why you need friends around you who are also seeking God. Did you know every time in the charismatic world it says that when a word is given, it's to be judged. And that means it needs to be confirmed by the elders, this is the Lord. That's not a negative thing. There's safety in the community. See, as my kids were learning to walk, I don't know about yours, but they didn't get it right the first time. Right? When they left the nest, they didn't get it right the first time. We finally told them, if you get it right by 40, you're going to be doing good. The baby's turning 40 in February, and I think they're getting it figured out. You don't get it right the first time. And it's why you need the elders, your friends around you, who will lovingly ask you questions. You don't need just tellers either. 
Some of us preachers are addicted tellers. You need people who know how to ask really probing questions. That's what Jesus did all the time. Look at how many times he answers a question with a question. Because he knows that when I ask you questions, it probes something in your heart. The idea of the childlikeness in this is the wonder and the mystery and the curiosity, right? That's what engaging new knowledge with others is all about. And thirdly, it's something you're going to practice, and you did practice earlier, reflective practice. Now, a lot of books that we've read and a lot of things we've studied, we'll call these spiritual disciplines. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't like the word discipline, and I know disciple comes from it. But I still struggle with the word because of a wound in my childhood. And I've taken it to Jesus, and we've been working it out. But I struggle with discipline. But here's what I don't struggle with, practice. You know why? Because as a four-year-old, I started piano lessons. And before I could do anything coming home from school every single day, I had to practice 30 minutes a day. Before there was a snack, before there was play, there was piano practice. And I remember the day about eight years in. Don't miss that. Eight years of drudgery, 365 days practicing what I did not enjoy. I remember the delight when I closed the book and could play from my heart. I didn't need the music anymore because it was coming from me. I had so practiced what somebody else had written on the page. Don't miss that. Somebody else had written the score. And I just practiced what somebody else had written. This is why you need mentors in your life who will tell you their journey and sometimes you practice what you see others do. You practice what you read that Jesus did. And one day, you recognize you don't need the music anymore. It comes out of who you are now. Practicing what somebody else wrote did not make me a pianist. It was the day I closed the book and music began to pour out of me that I knew I could now call myself a pianist. It is true of you as a follower of Jesus. You will be surprised by the music that starts coming out of your soul at a time when you even least expect it. I want to tell you what the result begins to look like, okay? So that's the what. The what is you're going to become like Christ. Now, I want to tell you what the fruit looks like so you'll know when it happens. That's a weird thing to say. No, listen. This is not something that you do and perform. This is something you practice and you cooperate with God and as a result, it happens to you. The difference in Christianity that I was talking about was an outward-in model. And it never works. And in fact, it tends to make Pharisees self-righteous people. 
But the kind that starts on the inside by the work of the Spirit and me just cooperating with what the Spirit is doing in my life begins to surprise me by the behaviors that start coming out of me that are not my norm. But they look more like Jesus. Friends, it's a whole different endeavor. This first one I talked about, let me tell you what it is. It's exhausting. And you will never measure up. This one over here, it's invigorating. Because you're simply cooperating what the Spirit is doing on the inside, and you get to see the fruit. Listen, John says that when we abide in the vine, again, Marty and I didn't talk. When we abide in the vine, we will bear fruit. It does not say we will produce fruit. Nowhere in that passage does it say we produce the fruit. You can't. You simply abide. And as you do, the Spirit of God in you produces the fruit and you bear it. It shows up on you like a flourishing, fruitful tree. And that's when you say, taste and see that the Lord is good. You bear this good fruit and people get to experience it from you. And you didn't do a thing except cooperate with the work of the Spirit in you. Have you ever noticed that it's called the fruit of the Spirit? Now, when I was a kid, we used to have these black and white little pictures with crayons. And there was an apple and a banana and grapes in this bowl. And it had love, joy, and peace written on it. And we had to color. And we were taught how to produce this fruit. It was well intended. But all I found was frustration when I tried to produce joy. Right? All I found was frustration when I tried to produce peace. And then I went and I read it again and I went, oh, the fruit is the result of something. It's not something I do, it's something I become because the Holy Spirit is in me all the time working toward things. You heard me a couple of times I've talked about love's reordered. The first thing you'll notice when you start growing in God is your desires and affections change. That's the first thing you can count on. And why does that matter? Because Jesus, when he was asked what's most important, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Strength is your physical body. You love God with your all. When you're growing in Christ, you will notice that your loves get reordered. Loving things that God loves, loving God first and foremost, begins to just come out of you like ripe fruit. The second thing that you notice is that your character gets reformed. I love the picture of a potter and a clay. Did you know that when you're working on a, on a pottery wheel and you've got clay in front of you, that when the potter puts his or her hand at the top of the clay and begins to gently push pressure. They create what's called the heart. And when you see this 
and the potter has one hand on the inside and one hand on the outside, that is the work of the Spirit in your life. The God Spirit on the inside is forming your heart, and it will flow out as he shapes the outside to match the inside. We call this the character of Christ or the fruit of the Spirit. The third thing, and I'll wrap up with this, is that your purpose will be realigned. Marty gave you a wonderful practice to discover your purpose. I'd encourage you to get out somewhere where you love nature, or if you don't, whatever it is you love, and spend some time with that sheet of paper asking God to reveal to you the truths you need to write down. And what you'll notice is by the time you get to the end of it, stuff will start to emerge that you see the thread of God's grace throughout your life forming you for something. Don't miss it. I said some of the things that have been your greatest points of pain and weakness, God actually uses to be your greatest strengths. They're not an accident. Just as Jesus came with a mission. Church, please hear this. This is the crux of it all. The reason God wants you to grow into Christ-likeness is because you are the body of Christ in the world. Jesus left, right? Did his ministry, died, rose again, spent 40 days showing everybody, I'm here, I'm alive, showed up to over 500 people. But then he goes to a mountain with his disciples and he said, I'm going. Now you go and make disciples. Everything you've heard from us since we got here yesterday was about how to make disciples. There is a how. This is how Jesus did it. Make disciples, baptize them, mark them with the name of Christ out there also on the sign. You've got belong. Mark them with baptism. Let them belong. Teach them. They don't come in knowing everything. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And oh, by the way, I'm always with you. Jesus left, and he left his church to fulfill the mission. Friends, there's no plan B. You're it. If the world is going to understand who Jesus is, it's because we reveal that to him through our lives. Do you know what? I'm going to tell you a heavy thing I think about often, but it's what motivates me. And everybody will be motivated differently. Is I have a mindset that I don't want the world to misunderstand who Jesus is because of something they see out of me. And I'm afraid that's been some reality in our world in the last few years. I want the world to look at God's people, the church, and get an accurate representation, a prototype, the perfect model, not a replica even, the perfect model of who Jesus is. 
That motivates me every morning when my feet hit the floor to grow into the image of God. But here's the thing that God's so gracious with. He knows that we live in an already not yet tension. So Jesus said it's finished, and I'm going, no, it's not. I live here every day. It is not finished. And he's going, oh, but it is. I just want you to live into it. It's done. All that you can become in the full perfect design. Listen, Jesus said, be perfect as I am perfect. And we go, <laughs> another one we want to tear right out of the Bible. What he's saying is lean into my life. Let me perfect you from the inside out so that the world sees who you are. 1 Peter 2 talks about the suffering. Romans 8 talks about the suffering. And here's what Romans says, and I want to conclude with this because we have talked a lot about suffering. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. Now, again, I grew up in the church. And every time I heard a preacher use this, for whatever reason, they stopped right there. And so I grew up believing that the glory that was going to be revealed is Jesus is going to come back and everybody's going to see him and the glory is revealed. What does it say after that? In us. Oh, that's a whole different reality. I don't consider the sufferings that I've endured in 62 years to be worth comparing to who God is making me to be. The glory of Jesus revealed through my life is worth far more than anything I've ever suffered. For the creation waits. All of the world around us is waiting in eager expectation. Listen to that. The world is waiting for Jesus to be revealed in you. The world is waiting with eager expectation. I went out on the porch where we're staying this morning and there was three of the most beautiful white-tailed deer surrounded by these gorgeous woods. And I'm sitting there on the porch. And of course, as I come out, they turn around and look and they just stand still. And this scripture came to my mind. They're eagerly waiting. Are you gonna act out the character of our creator or the flesh? Don't tell your husbands I said that. <laughs> Are you going to wonder at the goodness of God? Are you going to show me what our creator looks like? All of creation eagerly awaits. There's a great cloud of witnesses that have already gone before you that are cheering you on who are saying there's so much glory being revealed in you for the world's sake. And we've done it, and you can too. 
That's what's happening. All of creation, imagine this. If you don't feel special, please hear this. All of creation is waiting for you to show Jesus. All of heaven is applauding you, waiting for you to reveal Jesus. If that doesn't make you feel special, everything believes in you to allow Christ to be revealed. That, my friends, is the purpose of the church. And the church, the bride of Christ, will be done with her mission when Jesus says, it's done. Those days will be over. We will be in perfection. The world will be in perfection. All things will be made new. No more tears. No more crying. No more pain. No more wrestling with God and ourselves. We will be perfect. The world will be perfect. And we will live forever with God. This is not a fairy tale. This is the most real truth that has ever existed. And you are in the middle of the story. Who are you becoming? I want to wrap this up with you together. Marty did this. I want to do it again. These reflective practices are you speaking and writing, being vulnerable with each other, you know, sometimes we don't want to be vulnerable because we're afraid with what people will do with our truth. And they may. Let's just be honest. But it doesn't change what's true. And when you speak it to someone else, God uses it to form something in your heart. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to get in groups of three. You can stand. If you're getting sleepy, please do stand. Gather around the room, and we're going to go into another practice with your team here in just a few minutes around Scripture that I highly recommend you practice every day. But I want you to think through, where are you? If you were to put an honest age on where you are in the maturing process in your walk with Jesus, how old would you be? And what is keeping you from growing up? Name it, whatever it is. Notice and name it. What is keeping you from growing up? And then I want you to think of two or three things, simple things that you've learned from us in these last few hours to say, I'm going to practice this. And it may be what we're going to do next with Scripture. I'm going to practice this. Take a baby step in growing. God, I feel such a sense of holy responsibility in my own life and about your church. And if there were ever a time in human history, and I know we have been in times like this before, but right now, the church needs to humble ourselves as you did and let the mind of Christ be in us 
who did not think equality with God as something to be grasped, but who humbled yourself, taking on the form of a servant, being made human. Lord, help us all to humble ourselves, to truly seek your face, to keep our eyes fixed on you. Change us, Lord, not on our outward behaviors. Those don't last, and they make us mean because they're not comfortable. They're not fun. They're not how we're designed. But when you change us from the inside out, we experience your joy and your peace, and we live out this joyful existence because we're fully aligned with who you've made us to be. Would you give my friends courage to be honest with one another, to hold each other able to what we can be together and grow your body in full health and wholeness, that the world would know that we are your disciples because of our love for one another. Jesus, put courage in the room right now. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Amen. Get with two other people. You can move around the room. You can stand. You can go to your friends. You can go to strangers if that feels safer to you. <laughs> and answer these growth questions. And then we're going to gather back and the team's going to take you through an exercise. <laughs>